0: Hello, welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. That is my hope and desire, Lord, for if we aren't meeting with you this, this meeting is frivolous and pointless. And so we hold the Word of God in our laps, and we have prepared our hearts through song. We ask God that we wouldn't waste this time, that we would use it, Father, to, to mold and to shape our lives. We ask God that You would send Your Spirit to speak to our convictions, God, and, and perhaps prune and remove calluses that need removed, O oh God. God, that this would be a meeting with the divine and and that we would leave this place loving You more. For that's the goal of us gathering together, is that we would fall more in love with You, that we would know more of You, O God. Jesus, I ask that, that You would help me to rightly divide the Word of God, that I would not lead anyone to the left or to the right, but God, that we would stand firm in Your truth today. We love You, Lord. We offer You this time in praise and adoration, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. So we took a little respite last week. We had Shondor come and speak and uh, about service, which I thought was really, really good. I'm glad that he was, or He didn't volunteer. I asked him to do that, and he he agreed to do that. So uh, that was nice that he came in, and, and we should all be serving. But the week before that, we had finished John chapter three i like john chapter 3 i think a lot of people like john chapter 3 john 316 probably the most famous verse in all of the bible the most well known anyway but it's neat it was a neat couple of stories that we saw it was nicodemus jesus taking the time to to step away from the crowds and sit with this man one on one to be involved in nicodemus's life to the degree that he he's telling him the truth and he speaks to him he looks at this old man sitting across from him and he says nick you... There's no, there's no bones about it. There's no other way around it. You must be born again. In order to see the kingdom of God, Nick, you must be born again. And we need to hear that today. There aren't multiple roads that lead to the kingdom of God. There is one way. His name is Jesus. You must be born again the way that He prescribed. It's, it's offering. It's believing in what Christ has done on our behalf. He tells Nicodemus, and, and through him, He tells us that as well. And then after that we saw the the interaction between Jesus and his disciples and John the Baptist and his disciples and we see John the Baptist kind of fading off the scene now as he had come to prepare the way of the Lord the Lord is now active and and working in on the earth he says I love what John says he says uh, that's cool uh, my, my you know the the his disciples were concerned Hey, your ministry is falling apart. Everybody's going to Jesus, and John's like, "Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we want." I must decrease, he says. He must increase, and and for that, he he gives the model for my my ministry, for your ministry, for the things that we do on the earth. It's not about our sandcastles that we're building, which will be washed away when we when we leave this earth. It's not about our kingdom. It's about His. He, We must decrease that He might receive all the glory. That's the way we minister in this world. And so now we come to the woman at the well, a story that we are probably familiar with, but, but it is so rich and so, so good. Jesus, once again, going to interact with somebody one-on-one. One-on-one. John chapter 4, verse 1. You there? You ready? You ready? All right. All right, just making sure. No, Chris, hold on. Too bad, we're going. John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus Himself did not baptize but His disciples, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, this is interesting, and this is kind of sums up the, finishes out the story with John the Baptist. As Jesus' ministry is gaining traction, more and more people are coming to him, he's gaining popularity there. He knows that the Pharisees, those religious leaders of the day, are taking note of it. And as his ministry goes, you would think he would want to continue to build that and continue to grow in that. That's what, if while we're gaining traction as a ministry, you want to continue to build that up. And Jesus is like, no, 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 not right now. We're pulling the tent stakes. We're, we're moving. We're headed to Galilee. Um, I, we're not going to deal with this right now. And basically, what he's saying is the Pharisees want to confront me on this, and I'm not interested in doing that right now. Now, the day will come when Jesus meets with the Pharisees head to head, and, and th- that day is coming, but Jesus is not yet. So he, he, though the ministry there is thriving, things are going well, people are being baptized and, and coming as disciples to Jesus, He says, we're leaving, we're going to Galilee, let's, let's pack up. Now what's interesting about that statement, or what the, those first few verses, is it says in verse 2, though Jesus Himself, parenthetically, Jesus Himself did not baptize, but His disciples. Really? I read that and I was like why? Why? What why didn't Jesus baptize? He, how cool would that be to be baptized by Jesus, right? Why why didn't was it, and the question came, was was he afraid to get his hands dirty or something? Was he he didn't want didn't want to get involved and I was like no no no, that's not the answer. That can't be the answer. He came to the earth. He got he got his hands dirty. The expression, you know, he, he's willing to roll up his sleeves and get to work. He came to Earth. We just saying when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't putting on the ritz. <laughs> Our God is an awesome God, and and so it wasn't that he was afraid to get involved with these people's lives and baptize them. We're going to see he interacts with the Sum, the Samarian woman, the Samaritan woman, and and one on one. He's not afraid to get involved in people's lives. So why wouldn't he baptize? Well, I think it's because Jesus knows that his disciples are going to be the church. And he wants to involve them as much as he can. Paul would go on to say in, um, in one of his epistles, I think it's in Corinthians, hey, Jesus is the head, but the church is the body and Casting Crowns the band out of Georgia they, they they made it the the popular song the one that kind of broke them was you know if we are the body why aren't our hands moving why aren't our feet going to where he would have us go and and so i think jesus early on in his ministry is saying no you disciples you you go baptize that's cool you be be my hands and feet get out there and, and do this and so jesus it's not that he's not afraid or that he's afraid to get Involved, it's that he wants to involve his disciples in the process of, of making other disciples, of baptizing. And so he leaves Judea and goes to Galilee. Now, what's interesting about that, or what I guess we could note about that, is the primarily, that's where Jesus did the majority of His ministry was there in Galilee. And if you are to read the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of tell the same story. They're focused on His ministry in Galilee and the miracles that He does in those locations. John takes a different approach. We've talked about this several times that we've gone through John. He, lo- he focuses less on Galilee. He does some to some degree and focuses more on the things that happened there in Jerusalem and Judea. But prophet is, is going to say later in the chapter, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, uh, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And so he goes and, and he, he works in, in Galilee. And that's where he does the majority of his ministry. And that's where he heads now. Look at verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. Really? Needed? He, he, he needed to go. He needed to go? He needed to go. Well, that's kind of strange because he didn't need to go except that it says that he needed to go. You see, in fact, as a Jewish man, he wouldn't go to Samaria. But he needed to go, and so he went. Let me tell you a little bit of the history and how the Samaritan people came about. Uh, we finished the book of Kings before we jumped into the book of John, and what we saw at the end was the decimation of Israel and Judea. They had blown it, king after king, evil king, evil king, evil king. Remember all of that? And so finally, God said, "Enough! We're flushing it. We're starting over." And and He does, and He wipes out or or, or lets the Assyrians come in and wipe them out, take over the land, and and the majority of Israel, the majority of Judea, is taken captive and off to Babylon they go. Assyria takes over the land, but they're they not living there so much per se. What they do is they leave a few people, a few of the Jewish people, to care for the land, to become the groundskeepers and to take care of it. And so there's a there's a remnant there, a small remnant, not not anything that would amount to anything, not that they would ever be able to rise up and rebel. These were kind of the, the, the bottom of the chain, or the bottom of the ladder, if you would, there to take care of it. And as time goes on, people from a, 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 um, Babylon and Assyria, they come and they marry these Jewish people and they begin their relationships. And not only do they, they marry physically uh, and, and, and grow in that way, they bring their religion with them. And so a, a new breed of religion is introduced as well. And from this intermarrying, we get the Samaritan people. And so the people of of the region, Samaritans, are there. But as the Jews came back to the land, and as they took over the land, they saw the Samaritan people there, and they said, "You're you're halfbreeds. We we can't even we, we can't have anything to do with you." And that's not my words. That's their words. That's what they, the way that we they would look at them. I believe there's one race. and It's the human race. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what your relationship is, God reaches out to all. But they look down on these people, the Samaritan people, so much so that if they wanted to go to Galilee... They would cross over the Jordan River and go around Samaria, go around the Samaritan people to get to Galilee. They would take the long way around. They didn't want anything to do with these people. So when it says He needed to go, He really didn't need to go because everybody else didn't go. They would go around. But He needed to go. Divine appointment. And that's this conversation that He's going to have there with a Samaritan woman that changes her life and really opens up the door for you and I that we might come to Him. He needed to go through Samaria. A divine appointment was about to happen. Verse five says, "So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour." Okay, Jesus arrives there in Samaria. He's about sixth hour. We need to understand the concept of time. Their time's a little bit different than ours. Their time would start, or their day rather, would start at six a.m. So it tells us it's the sixth hour. Six plus six is 12. It's high noon. Jesus rolls into town at high noon, okay? And he stops there at the well, and, and, uh, and, and that's where this interaction is going to take place. What I want to note about this, and one of the things I think that you and I can forget about Jesus, because we, we're all about him being fully God, he is also fully man and philippians chapter 2 talks about the kenosis it's the emptying what he did as he came to earth as god came to earth jesus came to earth he put on the limitations of man and we see that here he comes to the well tired this is not just some superhuman that that doesn't get fazed by anything he comes and he's weary this has been a long journey. I need to sit down. I need to take a break. We're going to see. He's thirsty. He's hungry. These are the things that, that you and I experience. We have a, a high priest, Hebrews would tell us, that we can empathize with. He, he sympathizes and empathizes with us because He's fully human. And He knows our temptations. He knows our struggles. He knows our pains. He knows the things that we we need. Sleep. Food. And water. And he experiences those needs as well. He's tired there at at noon. Now it says, verse 7 A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay, so now we see not only is he weary, he's thirsty a woman rolls up at noon and she's there to get some water. She's got her watering pot with her uh, preparing to get the water that she needs for the day. And Jesus says, hey, I'm thirsty. Give me a drink. Uh, I would probably have my disciples do it at this point, but they've gone to buy me a Big Mac at McDonald's and so they'll be back in a little bit so I'm going to chill out here. Would you get me a glass of water? And right now the woman short circuits. What? I think her jaw would hit the floor. Why are you talking to me? What? What do you? And and you're going to see it here. I think she says in verse nine. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, "How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." He at this point her brain is, is is short circuiting. Um I I came to get some water. Uh, I'm here in the middle of the day, which is interesting. We'll talk about that in a second that that she's there in the middle of the day. And and, and I I just just want to just leave me alone. I, oh, Somebody's at the well again. Oh. Uh, all right, let me go. And oh, it's a Jewish man. Well, that's strange. Uh, that's okay. I'm going to get my water. I'm going to get my water and she starts and 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 now he says, w- "Get me a drink." That On every human level, that's wrong. Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They would not talk to them. On another level, the the relationship between a man and a woman in those days was far different than it is now. In public, women were not spoken to by men. In fact, if you were a Jewish rabbi in those days, which Jesus is, a teacher, if, if he were to be married, or if a Jewish rabbi were married, if he saw his wife in public, he would not speak to her. So there's this, this cultural difference that you and I aren't real familiar with, but it, so it's a Jew speaking to a, a Samaritan. It's a man speaking to a woman. And at this point, his, his, or her mind is blown. What are you, what are you asking me for? Almost on the defensive. She had reason to be on the defensive. It, it, there's insight here in that she's coming to the well at noon. That wasn't normal. She's, she's trying to avoid something or someone because to go to the well, the women would go to the well to get their water very early in the morning before the heat of the day. It's a hard job to lug back the water your family needs. And so they would wait, you know, when they rise up, they get the water they need. Or if they had to go, they would go again in the evening, right at dusk as the heat of the day was gone. And then they would get their water for the evening. No, this woman is there in the middle of the day. We're going to find out why she's doing that so she's she's on the on the defensive and and Jesus asks for a drink. I think she's shocked because, like I said, on every human level, it's wrong, but Jesus needed to be there in verse ten. It says, "Jesus answered and said to her, "If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, "Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water." The woman said to him, "Sir." You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. It was. It was a 150-foot deep well. Where then do you get that living water? Now, I like this. Jesus' response to her shock is, He says, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask Him for living water. Who, if you knew who the gift of God was. Who is the gift of God? Jesus is the gift of God. We just read that in chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave He gave a gift. That gift was His Son. He's speaking of Himself. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I am, then you'd be asking Me for water, for living water. Now Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level, but it's interesting. He calls it living water, perhaps toying with some words a little bit because they had a phrase in those days. They had those words in those days and it meant something else. You see, the water in the well would not have been living water. It's it's a stagnant water. It's just sitting there. But had a water, had water become, been coming out of a brook or a spring coming up from the ground bubbling, they called that living water because it was moving. And so now she says, oh, if there's a way that I don't have to endure my shame and come to this well in the middle of the day, if there's somewhere else that I can get water and it's living water, it's good water, let me know what that is thinking on the physical. Jesus is trying to raise her to the spiritual. He'll get there eventually. She'll get there eventually. But right now, she's like, tell me about this living water that I don't have to come here in the middle of the day. Where do you get that living water? The other thing I want to note as we progress through this story is how she addresses Him changes. You see, when, when, when they first interacted, the, she said, how is it that you, a Jew, can come to Me, a Samaritan woman? And now he says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me. And now she says, sir. So it goes from you're a Jew to now, now sir, tell me about this living water. As we grow closer to Christ, our, our love for Him grows, our affection for Him grows. And we're going to see that as we go through these scriptures. Now she asks the question, she's thinking. Are, are you greater, verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I love this. And we need to get a hold of this. There's a primary principle here that you and I need to understand as Jesus is trying to elevate her thought from just her physical need to her spiritual need. You and I need to grasp hold of this concept. What He's saying, you come to this well, tomorrow you're going to be thirsty again. And that is true of any of our physical needs. that that satisfying the physical is merely temporary. Right? You get that? Satisfying the physical is merely temporary. If I go and after after service today, I go and eat lunch by, I don't know, 2.30, I'm going to be hungry again, right? Or, you know, (laughs) I like to eat. It's like Chinese food, you know? You eat it, you get stuffed, and then like 45 minutes later, you're hungry again. I don't get it. But a physical need, if I eat and I'm satisfied, time goes by, I'm going to get hungry again. If I'm thirsty and I drink something, I'm going to be thirsty again. If I have sex, that's a great thing, but eventually I'm going to need it again. It's a physical thing. If we have money, there's money will satisfy to some degree, but if you go and ask the richest people in the world, is it enough? No. Somebody was telling me in between services when uh, Letterman interviewed Donald Trump years and years and years ago. Letterman asked David asked him. He said, "Hey, what what dollar or when is when is enough enough? When have you had enough? What 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 dollar amount is 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 enough?" And, and Donald Trump said, "Well, the next dollar. You know, How much do you need? Well, I need the next dollar." The saying that that hunger is never fully satisfied. Money, wealth, fame, food, water, sex, we all, it it satisfies temporarily. And that's a good thing. But in the physical, it will, you'll have that need or hunger again. What Jesus is saying, if we satisfy the spiritual, if we meet the need on the spiritual level, you'll never thirst again. And it's amazing how if we do satisfy our hearts on the spiritual level, taking what Jesus has offered us, then even our physical needs, our physical wants and desires are more satisfied. Yes, we get hungry. Yes, we get thirsty. Yes, we have needs, but we don't live in those. We live in the, in the, the fountain that comes from God. Uh, water springing up into everlasting life. So the the principle being, satisfying the physical is temporary. Satisfying the spiritual is eternal. You never thirst again. We were supposed to do another song to start the service today. We were just going to do Meet Us Here, which is a great welcome song. But as I read through the Scripture, I was like, "Now we have to do Come Just As You Are. I love that, that song. Just a simple invitation. But come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Taste the living water and never thirst again. Great words for a great song. And that's what Jesus is saying. Trying to elevate her thought to the spiritual. Verse 15. She's still in the physical. The woman said to Him, Sir, there it is again. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She's still thinking about the physical. I, I, it'd be great if I never had to drink again. It'd be great if I didn't have to come out here in the heat of the day and avoid everybody else. You see, she's carrying some shame with her. and We're going to find out what that, all that is about. She's, you'll, We'll read it in a minute, and I think you guys know, but there's a reason that she has to come in the heat of the day. She's ashamed. And so she's like, you mean there, there, there's a way that, that I don't have to do this anymore? There's a way that I don't have to live like this anymore? Tell me what it is. Let me know what that is. That I won't have to come here and draw this water again, endure this shame again. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And so now we come to the heart of the matter. It really is a matter of the heart. Jesus says, let's get to what all this is about. Go get your husband. The woman answered and said, I don't think she proclaimed this. I think her head was probably down at this point. I I, I have no husband. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus understands where this woman is coming from. He knows that she has a past that is sorted. He he knows that she's coming in the middle of the day because she's ashamed of the way that she's living. She's had five husbands, and now she's shacking with a guy who isn't even her husband. She's like, why even bother putting the ring on anymore? It's a waste of time. I'm just going to sleep with whoever. And that's why she's coming in the middle of the day. Because all the other women have shunned her because... She's stealing all the guys. And she has to sneak out and gather her water in the middle of the day. And Jesus knows that. And He's trying to elevate her thought off of the physical water and say, let's deal with the conviction of your heart. And what I love about this interaction and what you and I need to understand as we see Jesus, is as He comes and He convicts her of her sin, that is all that He does. He does not condemn her for her sin. Romans 8 would tell us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus doesn't slam her for this and say, what a floozy you are, you've screwed up, your life is going down the tubes, and you're done. Just flush it down the toilet, you're done. He doesn't say that. He does convict her of her sin. You have said well. You know what your sin is, He's telling her. You've been married five times and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. You have spoken truly. But He does not condemn her. And He does not condemn you or I either. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many husbands or wives you've had. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus does not condemn Yes, He will convict so that we see our need for a Savior. But He does not condemn. Look at verse 19. The woman said to Him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) He just told her everything about her. He just read her resume. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) Yes, you are a prophet. But in that, how she addresses him changes again. First it was Jew. Now, Then it was Sir. Now it's, oh, you're a prophet. Elevating her respect for him. And so now she, she's going to go on the offensive. Let's, uh, perhaps that conviction was weighing a bit heavy on her heart and she wants to try to bring up something else. That'll happen as you and I interact with people too. It says in verse 20, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So as you and I are interacting, as we're sharing the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and people are being convicted of their sin as you speak to them, you need that to happen and for an encounter with Jesus Christ, people need to see their need for a Savior. Very often when that happens, they're going to throw back the the theological question that they know. And oftentimes they're goofy. (laughs) You know, yes, you need to change your life. Yes, you need to come to Jesus. You live in the sin. Look, you have a heroin needle, a needle in your arm right now. Okay, um, you need to change that. And then the the question will come back. Yeah, but um, did Adam have a belly button? Who cares? Can we get back to this? And and that's what she's trying to do. Let me just change the subject. Let me let me get off of me right now. Let's let's not look at my sin. Let's not. Because she's ashamed. And so she brings up the question. And and, and we need a little more information about this this group of Samaritans. You see, what they did as they intermarried with the people from Assyria, they kind of changed their religion. They introduced some of the religion that had come from Babylon. But they also changed the the Jewish culture in in their area. And they would say, because we have Mount Gerizim here in our location, this is where everything of Moses happened. Everything of the Old Testament would happen. You know, Isaac, when he was sacrificed up on the mountain, Abraham, or went to sacrifice him on the mountain, Abraham, that didn't happen over there in in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem. That happened here at Mount Gerizim. And so they changed the stories. And and as they were raised in this religion, as she's raised in this religion, she comes to the point here and she grows up understanding, hey, we've been told that everything happened here on Mount Gerizim. This is where we're supposed to worship. You Jews, you say, hey, over there in Jerusalem is where we're supposed to worship. Which is it? And the answer that comes from Jesus is critical to you and I. Because what it is, it's an opening of the new covenant that Jesus is bringing. Jesus, as He's sitting down at the table with His disciples at the end of His life, right before He's crucified, He said, I came to bring a new covenant. And this is kind of where we see that new covenant opened. Because He's going to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you worship. Watch. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe Me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. There is so much in those verses. I, I We could go another hour on just that. We could go next week on just that. But there. let me try to bring it all together. Jesus unfolding this new covenant. Yes, the, telling the woman there, hey, you, you were raised to worship on Mount Gerizim. Yes, and uh, we were raised to, to worship in Jerusalem. Yes, but the hour is coming, he says, and now is. That that doesn't matter. The location of your worship no longer matters. If you want to buy a Ryan Steakhouse on the corner of Bryce and Livingston and turn it into a church, you can do that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what mountain you're on. Mount Moriah, Mount Gerizim, Mount Iliad, Mount Gilead. It doesn't doesn't matter. Jesus uh, says the Father isn't looking about where you're worshiping from. He said what He's looking for is this idea that you worship in spirit and in truth. He, He says, that salvation is from the Jews in verse 22. You worship what you do not know, he tells her. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. What we need to understand out of that is, yes, the Jewish people were, are the chosen race, the, the the race or the, the group of people that God chose to shine his favor upon. And from them comes salvation. Jesus was Jewish. We understand that. From him from the Jewish people comes salvation. But what Jesus is saying here is it's not just it's not merely from them, it's not merely for them, it's for everyone. It doesn't matter what we're, where you're worshipping. He's he's opening he's opening this new covenant so that you and I, I think the majority of us in this room are Gentiles, can come to him that we can worship him. And he tells us how to do that. He says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. The true worshipers. I like that. Um, I've been a worship pastor at this church for 15 years now. I, I, it was my responsibility, as Dave commissioned me to do that, to figure out what worship was. Is. And I learned quickly that while, yes, what we do is important singing half an hour on a Sunday morning, that is not the entirety of worship. And we kind of talked about that as, as Shondor Finished last week. I was really glad that he came. And he talked about living service in service. We talked about Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, that says we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That is our spiritual act of worship. It's not just a half an hour on Sunday morning, it's a lifestyle. It's a response to him. That's how we live our lives is worship, giving him praise and giving him honor. And then he tells us to do that in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Well, I like the way Pastor Chuck, the guy that started Calvary Chapel, taught it. And he would say, you know, as you set up to be a church, you kind of have to choose one of the other paths generally and decide what path you're going to be. You're going to follow the more the model of the Baptist to say, we're standing on the Word of God, we're standing on the Word of God, we're standing on the Word of God, and that's what we do. Or, you come over to this road and it's the, the, the movement of the spirit and, and, and we're all about the charismatic way and, and we believe in the gifts and we're getting ready to study the gifts of, in, 1st Corinthians on Wednesday night. We're going to talk about those things. Uh, but the, the, we believe in the freedom and the experience and the, and the, and the, and the tongues and that kind of stuff. And, and what Chuck said is, why do you have to pick one road or the other? Why does it have to be Baptist or Pentecostal? Why can't it be both? In fact, it, Jesus would suggest it needs to be both. Both in the truth of the Word and in the Spirit of God. And so He coined this phrase, Calvary Chapel, we're (laughs) Bapticostal. We we stand on the Word of God and we preach that wholeheartedly and every time you come to Calvary Chapel, that's what you're going to get. We're going to open the Word of God and we're going to teach it. And the Word is truth. But we fully believe in the gifts of the Spirit as well. And if you speak in tongues, there's an opportunity to do that. If you have a a word of knowledge, we want to provide opportunities for that to happen. There is order to those things, and and that's laid out in 1 Corinthians. We'll talk about that as we get to it. But Jesus tells us, you don't pick one road or the other, you do both. You worship Him in Spirit and in truth. And so that's what we're called to do. And the other thing I want to see, I want us all to see, out of this verse, verse twenty-three. I've been walking with the Lord for over twenty years, and as you do. As you continue to walk with Him, many of you have experienced this as well. You have mountaintop experiences where it feels like the Lord is right there in your face, and it's a joyful time. But at the same time, or at other times, you have the valley low experiences, the dry seasons, where it feels like your prayers aren't even hitting the ceiling. Where it feels like worship is the the hardest thing for you to do. Where it feels like God, you feel like you're a million miles away. That happens to everyone. Don't feel like you're alone when that does. What I want us to see out of this scripture is when you're in. In those seasons, God is seeking you. God is seeking you. It's not that you and I have to pull up our pant legs and get down on broken glass and come to God to break this mentality or this dry season that we have to earn our way to God's privilege. No, He just says, The Father is seeking for people to worship Him. And so when you're in those dry seasons, or even when you're not, when you're in a a great season, how do we come to God? We come to Him by worshiping Him. So it's not that you have to work harder so that God can see you. It's that you stop and you just say, Lord, You're wonderful. I want to worship You. I want to praise Your name. I'll sing this song unto You. I'll, 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 I'll glorify You. Even if you feel a million miles away, I'm going to praise Your name. And in that moment, God is seeking for you. And He'll meet you in that place. And that's how we overcome dry seasons. Just continue to worship Him. Continue to worship Him. It's not that we have to drag ourselves to Him. It's that He is seeking us. Verse 24. One of those that should be underlined in your Bible. Probably written on your heart as well. An important verse. Jesus says to the woman, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now while that's a great theological thought, what I want you and I to remember is that in this moment, Jesus isn't sitting up there teaching a class on theology that He's got His blackboard out and He's teaching this woman about theology. He's having a conversation with her. And He's trying to elevate her thought from the physical, I need water to the spiritual. No, you need living water. You need eternal life. And he says in this verse, those that worship Him, it doesn't matter what mountain you're on, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We stand on the Word of God and we allow the Spirit to move in our lives. I like verse 25. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. This quote-unquote half-breed, this outcast of outcasts, you got to think about that. Not, Not only is she Samaritan, she's outcast by the Jews. They don't want anything to do with her. She's also outcast by her own people because she's sleeping around and nobody wants anything to do with her. So she's an outcast of the outcasts. Jesus is meeting with her. Important note there, that's what you and I are called to do as well. There's nobody beyond the reach of God. He reaches to her he, he calls to her, and, 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 and in that, she's like, ah, the lights are coming on. And she says, I remember something as I was growing up, as they were using the flannel graph back in Sunday school, they talked about this Messiah, this Christ, He's going to come. And, and it's like she's anticipating, she's looking for Jesus. Now he's about to say, it. you're looking at Him. But she's remembering and she's anticipating Jesus coming. She's anticipating the Messiah coming. She doesn't know that He's Jesus at this point. But she's looking for the Messiah. Hey, church, are you? Are we? Are we watching? Are we waiting? Are we looking for the Messiah? Because He's coming back. Yes, he has come, and he is the person of Jesus. But Jesus said, as he as he went to heaven, I go to prepare a place for you. That there I am, there or where I am, there you may also be. And there will be a day when I come back. And so we can't go to sleep in the light, church. You and I should be living as this woman is living, waiting and anticipating the return of the Messiah. He is coming back. Verse twenty six. Speaking of the Messiah, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So now he blows the doors off and he speaks very plainly. There's no hiding it here in this conversation, one-on-one with this woman. He's meeting her need and he says, you're looking for the Messiah. You're looking at the Messiah. I am he. This is where we, we see the first of these ego-a-me statements. It's E-G-O-E-I-M-I. It, it means I am. Jesus. May, that's what the, the book of John is really focused on, these seven or eight different times that Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. And this is the first of those where he simply says, I am. Where does he get that from? Well, it goes back to when Moses was getting ready to lead the Israelite people and he felt as though he wasn't qualified. He wasn't even sure that he was called. And he goes and he steps aside to pray. And as he goes out to this place, he sees this bush burning, but yet not consumed. Strange scene. And in the midst of this burning bush, God speaks to him. And encourages him, no, you need to lead the Israelite people. You need to go out before them. And these are the things that you need to do. And Moses is like, well, that's all well and good. And I'm enjoying our conversation here, but who are you? <laughs> uh, um, who, who do I say that sent me? How, how, what, where, where am I going to get my credibility from? Who, who are you? And God answers, I am. Ego ami. I am that I am. And so now Jesus is saying, I am. People will claim Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, He did. Right there. I am. Verse 27. And at this point, His disciples came and they marveled that He was talking with a woman. Yet, no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? I love that. So they're back from town. They, I love in the King James. They went to get meat because I like meat. They, they went to get food, but not just meat. But they're coming back. They're rolling back from McDonald's. They got their burger, or their Burger King, or whatever, and they're they're bringing Jesus some some food. And they roll on this scene at the well, and Jesus is talking to a woman. And they, ooh, ooh, ooh. um, they start looking at each other. Uh, well, why, why, why is he doing that? Um. He's Jewish, she's Samaritan, that, that's a no-no. He, he's a he, she's a she, that's a no-no. What? But they don't question him. They have respect for their teacher, they have respect for their rabbi. And, and here he says, or here they, they say, "You know what? We, we've only been walking with Jesus for a little while, but we've seen some strange things already. Why don't we just let him go ahead and do what he's going to do? <laughs> I think we can trust in that. And so they they roll on the scene, but they don't interrupt at this point. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I love that. And that's where we're going to finish the thought for today. She now her now her thinking has is, is gone from the physical to the spiritual. Her, her th- train of thought has been changed. How do we know that? She leaves what she came for behind. She came to get water. And she leaves without her water pot. This is so important. This has become so important to her life that she forgets why she even came. She runs back to the town. She goes and speaks to the men because she couldn't speak to the women, obviously. And she says, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you about something. Let me, let me show you something. Let me. Something's happened and I need to tell you about it. Come and see. Maybe this is the Christ. Once again, elevating how she sees Him. First Jew, then sir, now then prophet, and now, is this the Christ? Is this the Christ? Come and see. And here's the thought I want to finish with. No, this might challenge some of us today. It challenges me we see as evidence in her life that she goes and talks about it. Pretty easy principle. Pretty easy to prove. You and I, we talk about the things that we love. Yeah? You and I, we talk about the things that we love. I gave a demonstration of this when I first started teaching on Wednesday nights. Chick-fil-A had um, banana pudding milkshakes. Oh. They were awesome. And so I said let me demonstrate how we can talk about the things that we love. And I sat here and I talked for 5 minutes about the wonder and the beauty of you know banana pudding milkshakes which they no longer make. Wrong move Chick-fil-A. Just saying. <laughs> we talk about the things that we love. We see that evidenced in her life. She has, she has, her thinking has been elevated to the spiritual. Her life is being changed. You mean there's a way that I can live where I don't have to live in shame anymore? Give me that living water. And then the first thing that she does, let me tell you. She goes and she runs. She leaves the physical behind and she says, let me tell you about the Christ. Are we? Are you and I doing that? Are we so in love with what Christ has done on our behalf that that is our motive, that that is our call, that that is our mandate? And I know in my life it, not, it isn't always. And I know in some of our lives it's not. And how do I know that? Because I've been coming for this, to this church for 16 years, and I've, there's some people that I've talked with that we have never once talked about God. Hey, did you see the game last night? Let me talk to you about football for an hour. Hey, did you see the latest recipe? Let me talk to you about food for an hour. Let me challenge you with this idea. If you can't talk to your pastor about Christ, how in the world are you going to do it out there? I say it to my own detriment too because I can stand up here and preach a sermon, but for me to interact one-on-one it's a difficult thing to do. What we need to figure out is that there is no greater love that you and I can have than our love for Christ. And worshiping Him in spirit and in truth requires us to open our mouths and speak of what He's done in our lives to live for Him, to demonstrate what we love, who we love by the words and the things that we do, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. It's my prayer that we would look more like this woman at the well. There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. And I don't want to bring condemnation in this to any of you, but perhaps conviction that all of us might recognize who we love and speak of Him. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we do love You. And when our hearts are set right and when our minds are set right and You elevate our lives and our thinking from the physical to the spiritual, we're reminded again of how good You are and how much You love us. Jesus, I thank You that there is no condemnation in You. I pray that we as a people, we as this church here in the Ryan Steakhouse on Livingston Avenue, would live wholeheartedly for You, worshiping You in spirit and in truth until You come to take us home. I pray that we would honor you with our lives, with our thoughts, with our words, offering our bodies as living sacrifices for your kingdom and for your glory, both now and forevermore. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.